from the front line. I'm Hunter Combs in the studio once again with Dr. Peter Hammond to discuss fight the good fight of faith. Now, Dr. Hammond, you've seen a lot of things over the last 40 years, God's grace and guidance, protection, provision. Uh, you've seen many challenges you've had to overcome, many joys and blessings you've got to partake in. But look, uh, Dr. Hammond, what exactly does lies ahead for the future for Frontline, for your ministry here going forward? Well, we can really praise God for milestones. It builds up our faith when you look back, and we can see the hand of God providing mm. and protecting and guiding. At the time when we were in the middle of it, it wasn't quite so clear, yeah. and many times it was uh, either just duty or responding to a need, and uh, sometimes it seemed like accidents and coincidences. Mm. But looking back, we can just see the hand of God was leading us and guiding us and, and using us in spite of ourselves, that uh, it was not our ability, it was God's power and his merciful answer to prayer to our very inadequate prayers and our very feeble understanding of what was going hmm. We commanded to understand the times. I can't say we did always understand the times, but but mercifully and graciously, God guided. And now we look back and we can see, wow, hmm. yeah, like how Mozambique, the most closed country in the Southern Hemisphere, the least evangelized country in the Southern Hemisphere when we started in 1982. Now, absolutely wide open to the gospel, mm. phenomenal freedoms there. I mean, Mozambique in the 80s was the killing fields. It was Marxist, atheist, mm. uh, not a missionary allowed in the whole country, not a person under 18 allowed in any church, state-controlled churches. Nobody under 18 can be baptized. Nobody under 18 can attend. Not a Bible for a 1,000 people in the country. Mm. 4% of the total population would have called themselves Protestants or Evangelicals back in 1982 when we began. Now it's more like 34% mm. would call themselves Bible-believing, born-again, Evangelical Christians or Independents, Charismatics or Pentecostals. Absolutely phenomenal growth in Mozambique. And again, Angola is wide open for the gospel. It used mm. to be about as closed as it could be. Uh, mm. Rwanda, well, it was a horror story back in 1994, but today it's one of the best-run countries in Africa and uh, cleaner streets and easiest place mm. to open a business. One page of paperwork and, and your business is registered. I mean, mm. how simple is that? No funds needing to be paid for registration. So South Sudan independent. Uh, wells being dug in Nuba Mountains. Hundreds of thousands of Bibles delivered. Hundreds of schools. So we've seen answers to prayer. Probably the most phenomenal being the fall of the Iron Curtain, the collapse mm. of the Berlin Wall, opening up of Eastern Europe. So looking back, we could say, you know, all those things we were afraid of and that we thought mm. we're making no difference and uh, this is impossible. You look back and think, goodness me. But, you know, over the years, you look back and you say, but God was working. Mm. And his word was the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And there is power in prayer. And it's just phenomenal to look back. And so if God could have been so faithful in what looked like insurmountable problems. And mm. people today who weren't alive then, didn't live through it, maybe can't fully appreciate just how absolutely insurmountable these problems seemed. The Iron Curtain, the Cold War, the Berlin Wall, communism, closed countries, absolutely no way you can get in there mm. and so on and so forth. Can't be done, impossible, <laughs> uh, and so on. And, um, and then we saw, but God. Mm. And Expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. That's what William Carey challenged Christians to do over 200 years ago, and it's been proven to be true. So as we look at the future, I think we should look with faith, knowing yeah. that the God who gave us the Great Commission, 
promises the power to fulfill the Great Commission. We're not working at uncertainty. We're not afraid for the result. Christ must rule until he's put all his enemies under his feet. And when Satan will not have one inch of territory where Christ is recognized as Lord throughout the world and when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. So we are involved in a serious war. And there's a lot of things wrong in the world, and I'm by no means making light of the crushing problems and insurmountable difficulties that seem to confront us. And we're facing a lot of problems in the world, but we know that our God is more than equal to all the task. We know that Christ's church can be equal if it will respond in faith and obedience. We know that the Bible has all the answers, for sure, not only the problems that we see now, but the problems we haven't come up with yet. And the yeah. Bible still has the answers. And there is phenomenal power in prayer. So as Christians, we should not go into the future in any way downhearted or uh, feeling like, well, we can't make any difference because we've seen all of church history tells us, and even just our humble little last 40 years experience of as that slice of church history, it's convinced us of the fact that we are on the winning side. Submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from us. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We are called to be more than conquerors through Christ. So we, we're facing new challenges, and the world has changed in a big way, in many ways. But we've seen the church continually adapts and rises to occasion, and God has a remnant, and there's always the 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to bowl. And you talked about a lot of these challenges you saw over the last 40 years and how many of those things, God overcame those hurdles and he opened, um, he made the Iron Curtain fall down and Mozambique and all these other countries are now open to the gospel. Uh, what do you see as some of the big challenges that we see facing us in the future that are to be overcome uh, well, on, on the horizon? Yes, on the horizon and already here, mm. we've got the potential of a new world war. I mean, world mm. wars start just like this one that's going on in Ukraine right now. And the way it's being responded to by some incendiary comments and highly irresponsible actions. And it seems that some politicians are hellbent, literally hellbent, on getting into a full-scale nuclear war, mm. a world war. And some of the actions being done are so irresponsible, it's hard to believe people can be that stupid. You wonder how much of this is deliberate because we know there are globalists like Klaus Schwab who've written books like The Great Reset and The Fourth Industrial Revolution and on transhumanism talking about the need for a great collapse in order to prepare for The Great Reset. And by The Great Reset, they mean The Great Revolution, uh, basically talking about what Revelation 13 warns us about, mm. a one-world government, a one-world economic system, and a one-world interfaith religious system. So plainly, we, we are facing some people who are having some very bad plans. And the globalists seem absolutely hell-bent on destroying the family, destroying the church in its existing ways, changing morality, turning police from people who prosecute real crimes to where they harass people for using the wrong genders and for offending the LGBTQ community or in some other way committing a thought crime, uh, which offends the thought police. And George Orwell's 1984 no longer looks like science fiction that now looks ominously like some people are using it as a manual rather than as a warning of what to avoid. So we're facing some serious problems and we can see it with the lockdown lunacy, the COVID cult, the masquerade madness, the salvation by vaccination whole campaign over the last two years where we've seen 
a rise of medical tyranny where people can, in the name of fighting a virus, suspend the Bill of Rights, suspend freedom of religion, freedom of worship, freedom of movement, freedom of association, freedom of speech, freedom of opinion, and all the other freedoms essential for free societies. And how sadly, it's not just, we're not only talking about the Wuhan Health Organization, the United Nations, mm. and the globalists, but there's been a whole bunch of churches that have gone along with it. We've, we've got to shut down. We've, and so many churches have willingly allowed themselves to be silenced and sidelined and even shut down. Incomprehensible. You know, when I went to St. Paul's in England, they were telling us, I'm talking about a service in 2014, where saying in the last something like 1,400 years, there has not been a Sunday that the gospel hasn't been preached and the Lord's Supper has not been administered here in St. Mm. Paul's for 1,400 years. Well, and now they've got to say, well, except for 2020 and so on. Mm. It, they literally have stopped the only thing, not the plagues, not the world wars, not the crusades, not jihad. Mm. Nothing stopped the services in many parts of the world. But in 2020, a whole lot of things shut down. And it's just bizarre. And it's not acceptable. The churches before continued to function through the bubonic plague, through the Spanish flu, through the world wars, through so many things. Even in Eastern Europe, under communism, under the Bolshevik Revolution, churches might not have been able to meet in their building, but they still had underground services. Mm. They continued to operate. And uh, I'm deeply concerned for the mentality of too many people that they are willing to be either panicked or persuaded, or bullied, or pressured, or threatened, or whatever it is that persuaded so many to accept the world's narrative, and whatever excuse it was, to either be sidelined, or shut down, or even completely, um, uh, not just pushed into the sidelines, but shut down in silence. Now that, that just is unacceptable. So I'm deeply concerned. I'm concerned, what are we going to do as we see a tidal wave of immorality sweeping us? It's like a tsunami. The media, the tidal wave of pressure for the LGBTQ war on the family and war on marriage and war on gender and the gender wars and the gender confusions. And now you've got people who are biologically male, who are born male, um, competing in women's sports. And mm. you're guilty of a hate crime if you say that, you know, a man is a man, a woman is a woman, or there's only two <laughs> genders. And next thing, you can lose your job as a professor in a university. And mm. the, the amount of intolerance. So we're probably facing some of the biggest threats in the history of the world to religious freedom, freedom of thought, freedom of speech. All these freedoms are in danger, freedom of conscience. And everything George Orwell warned about and more, thought police, thought crimes, it's coming the brave new world, the drugged world where everyone will be distracted uh, by a highly technological society and subdued by drugs. Mm. I mean, that was another dystopian view of the future, which Aldous Huxley wrote about. That doesn't seem too impossible anymore because when you can get government saying everyone must take this experimental procedure, whether mm. it's called a vaccine or not, they had to change the definition of vaccines to qualify this DNA-altering medical procedures, vaccine. Uh, but the fact that so many people have gone with it, even though they didn't like it, they didn't want it, they didn't feel they needed it, and yet many people went along with it. And this bodes ill for the future because in the last 40 years of serving persecuted churches, the thing that's been so inspiring is how throughout the world the Christians have always been 
willing to contend for the faith and be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, our God whom we serve is able to save us, and he will. Mm. Um, you know, and w- even if he doesn't save us, we will not bow before your idols, nor will we serve your gods. And this has been a Christian response for millenniums. And to get a group of people who somehow or another, whether they are bullied, intimidated, or persuaded, to allow themselves to be sidelined or silenced or shut down, very disturbing. So mm-hmm. we are facing new challenges, and I do fear that a key part of it is many Christians have been persuaded to let their children be trained by Philistines, by people who are overtly secular and specifically not Christian and will not allow prayer or Bible reading or hymn singing in school. And to think that many Christians, perhaps the majority of Christians, are letting their children be educated by secular authorities, Mm. that bodes ill. And then you think of how many Christians depend on the secular media, the anti-Christian secular media, who tolerate blasphemy and pornography and other evils, to be their main source of news and views and perception of the world. Mm. That bodes ill. And then there's how many churches have changed their definitions and their base of faith to allow even people who are unrepentant perverts to be ministered the gospel or Mm. to have solemnizing of what they call a marriage, of what God calls an abomination. Mm. So there's some serious threats going on. So no longer is it just external. The threat is out there from communist or Muslim dictatorships that are persecuting the church. Those threats still exist in some places. North Korea, Red China, Mm. yes. Um, uh, Saudi Arabia, Pakistan. I mean, there still are countries that persecute Christians overtly. Praise God, less than than before. But Mm. still, there's 400 million Christians in the world who live under governments that persecute the church to some degree or another. But that doesn't count. The increasing harassment Christians are finding in Canada and Australia and New Zealand Mm. and parts of Britain and America, some states are very intolerant. And now, how are we going to respond if there's Christians who get their news from the fake news media, get the history from the fake history of the secular Mm. humanists, and who are able to be persuaded or threatened or intimidated into shutting down and being sidelined when there's a crisis? I mean, when did the church close for plagues in the past? Mm. You can see people like Ulrich Zwingli and Martin Luther continued to minister in Wittenberg and Zurich during the plague. Mm. They, they didn't shut down. They didn't stop. They continued. And mind you, Ulrich Zwingli got the plague. He almost died. But mm. by God's grace, he persevered through it. But the church has never before responded in such a cowardly or compromising way to crises on such a level. And I think it shows the influence of the mass media, of the education institutions and the entertainment industry, which unfortunately are heavily influenced the church. So right now, I'd say our biggest problems are no longer just governments on the outside, but the media that we trust, the education that we allow our children to receive, and how we respond to the world. We've Sadly, many don't have a biblical worldview, and many have allowed themselves to be brainwashed. And uh, that's probably the biggest challenge, to renew minds and mm. to ensure that we're not conformed to this world. So how has Frontline adapted to these changes in the world and these changes in the culture? What changes have have been made to Frontline Fellowship over the years to sort of respond to these different issues mm. we've faced? So when we started, the vision was fairly simple. Evangelize in war zones and serve persecuted churches. I mean, there was churches suffering, Mozambique and Angola, 
across the border. There were terrorists coming in. We need to reach our enemy with the gospel. They're coming to us with landmines and hate. We're going to go to them with Bibles and with the love of Christ and the gospel. And there's people caught in the crossfire, these poor civilians in Angola and Mozambique. Let's take them Bibles and, and aid and medical help and whatever else we can. But it didn't take long for us to have to add to do leadership training and work for reformation and revival. Because, yes, the first thing that people would say to us is Biblia. They needed Bibles. But the second thing was Bible teaching. And so we moved from being mainly a literature distribution and preaching ministry to a leadership training ministry as well because we saw, well, there's a great lack of leadership. Many of the leaders have been killed, uh, shot or crucified. Uh, so many of the churches in Mozambique had no pastors. And then many pastors that we came across in Zambia and Zimbabwe didn't have any Bible college training. And many had no books, and some didn't even have a Bible. I mean, imagine being a pastor without a Bible, Bible training, or even a book. Forget about a concordance or commentary. And so uh, we started to move from literature distribution to leadership training to love and action, uh, the boxes with love and medicines and other aid, um, trying to help get clinics up and running and smuggling in medicines like in Angola where they had a blockade uh, back under the UN from 1992 on. And uh, yet, uh, and in Sudan, a lot getting clinics and hospitals going. But as we went further, we saw we've got to go deeper than this. And that's where the Biblical Worldview Summits developed. And so for the last 32 years, we've been holding Biblical Worldview Summits, uh, trying to get a biblical worldview not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And out of that also developed the William Carey Bible Institute to provide tertiary education for those in rural areas who are sometimes the only pastors in the area and they need to get training. But if they go to the city centers, the urban centers for training or to a first world country, how many would even return? And the meantime, who's to look after the congregation? So the idea of sending the leadership training materials to them, providing it, libraries for pastors, um, at all of our course and seminars, distributing books, and and that's where Biblical Principles of Africa, Discipleship Handbook, and Practical Discipleship, many other books came from New Testament Survey, Old Testament Survey. So trying to respond to the challenges was, we, we without neglecting the serving persecuted churches and the love and action literature distribution, we went much more into also leadership training. And I think that's one of the biggest needs in Africa. It's, some people say the church in Africa is miles wide and inches deep. Mm. And the enthusiasm is great. The teachability is there. The people are enthusiastic. They're keen. They just need better teaching. And unfortunately, uh, because of the, the heat and the temperature and the mosquitoes and the malaria and uh, not as many people are liking to go into many of the rural areas, but that's where it's most needed and that's where it's most appreciated. And that's why it's been important for us not only to send people into the field, but to leave libraries and books and resources with the people. And so literature, leadership training, love and action. What's also changed is where's in the past, you'd get a map of, for example, Malawi, and it'd be marked on a map which towns have got um, any telephones. Now, mm. of course, by now that's changed. And now it seems like almost everyone in Africa has got some kind of cell phone. Mm. Even if they don't have cell phone connectivity, they've got a portable handheld device. Mm. And occasionally they get to a place where there might even be some, some sort of reception. Even the Nuba Mountains of Sudan mm. 
mm. some people have cell phone connectivity. In, and Wi-Fi access and everything. Which is just extraordinary. I mean, that's something we couldn't have envisaged, which has made our online William Carey Bible Institute materials and Livingston Fellowship resources more important, that we're putting more and more Bible study materials online that people can access and emailing out. And in the digital libraries, whereas in the past we only took big shelves and boxes of books, which we still do. Yes, those are still very important. But in especially countries where it's illegal, like North Africa and the Arabic Muslim countries, a digital library, an SD card or a micro SD card that can fit into a cell phone or computer, which can be easily concealed, distributed, duplicated, mm. very important. So a lot of things, we've done a lot more digital, a lot more small compact. And then the audio bibles. I mean, it used to be a big hand-cranked uh, tape recorder. Now it's little handheld um, mega voice and audio mm. bibles, which is phenomenal in multiple languages. And so, uh, yes, with technology, we've been keeping up to it. Whereas in the past, I'd have to take a generator and 16 mil projector and a four reels of the Jesus form into the field. Now we're talking about a um, little video projector and a little battery and a solar panel. And wow, it's just mm. amazing how much easier it's gotten technology-wise. Technology has definitely moved in our favor. And, and we're grateful for that. But uh, the needs and the challenges have increased as well because now it's not just that you're trying to reach the people in the field with good teaching material, but now you've got to help them to counteract the insidious um, introduction of false teachings, false gospels, mm. cults, sects, and not just that, but secular humanism, atheism, mm. evolutionism. There's a whole range of evils from the West that was never there before. Mm. But now... Just like they can access uh, the Bible on the web, they can also access a whole lot of other things. And the people are being deluged with a lot more evil. So we've got to help them to know how to counteract and respond to these things. So the work of Africa Christian Action has increased dramatically, pro-life, pro-family, moral, uh, counteracting these things. So yes, the, the challenges change, but the gospel never changes. And the Great Commission never changes. And the heart of man, the depravity of man hasn't changed. And the solution, the grace of God and the salvation through Christ hasn't changed. But but we continually need to upgrade our technology and we need to uh, be able to respond to the new challenges to be able to do good evangelism, discipleship training and leadership training. Mm. Yeah. So there's lots of <coughs> various facets of how things have changed and how you've sort of addressed new issues really going in and working actually alongside of local churches, local believers on the ground. So it's not just going in and we kind of are there, look at us, the missionaries, but it's really coming alongside of the, the churches and actually helping build them up, help build their ministries up. Is that sort of the philosophy of going into the field in a short-term basis? Completely, to... yes. We are scaffolding. I mean, the missionaries are temporary. The, the permanent structure is the local church. And so always our first priority has been to find out where's the local church, who's doing what, and how can we come alongside and help them? And so, because we may go home, but they're the ones who stay. Now, we want to equip them with the best. We want to encourage them. We want to empower them. We want to give them good teaching. We want to give them the best study Bible they can possibly have. Uh, we want to uh, ensure that they have good resources and encouragement. Um, and we go back to mobilize more prayer on their behalf. But it's a local church that keeps the job going. And, and over the years, what's been so exciting is to come back and you know, sometimes I've visited the same people 19 times hmm. uh, uh, over the same amount of years. And you come back and you could see the growth and you see the development. And th when the same person has attended 
dozens of your camps and courses, you know you're building on mm. good foundations and you can see track record and you know who to trust. And now with our new technology options, uh, even when we had lockdown, we were able to arrange with the local Bible study. We pay on this side and they go and collect the Bible's indigenous languages there, even in Juba. In mm. Juba, Sudan, they could come and collect Bibles in the Dinka or the Moro mm. uh, uh, languages. And uh, so that even when we weren't able to travel to them, well, we could still do wire transfers and they could still access the Bibles there. And so there was a whole range of good things, uploading, digital libraries, downloading. But still, at the end of the day, nothing like boots on the ground and mm. feet on the streets and getting out there and seeing the people face to face. Door to door, personal, one on one evangelism still is the very, very best. Mm. But uh, it makes sense to use all the technology we can. Our highest priority has always been help the local church. Mm. They the structure, the Great Commission has given the local church. What we do for this side is put them in touch with prayer warriors and resource from outside. But they are the ones who keep doing the job. And uh, that's the excitement to see the growth. And we can see it in some cases where they're no longer a mission field. Now they're a mission sending agency and they're sending out their evangelists and missionaries to neighboring tribes and even across borders. So that's been encouraging. Mm. Yeah, and we're grateful for George Verver of Operation Mobilization for giving those funds for these indigenous language Bibles that could get into the field. And what a blessing yes. that was. Yes, now he's got such a vision for indigenous language Bibles and he's specifically, now we've got other people who've donated us lots of Bibles in English and sometimes French and Portuguese, but his vision was special projects as indigenous languages. And by that, we meaning Zulu and Kosa and Shona and Shangan and Bemba and Chichewa, all the way up to uh, Dinka, Nawer, and uh, many languages in, in uh, Sudan. And so uh, that's been phenomenally wonderful because uh, to raise those funds and, you know, Bible's indigenous language is always more expensive because obviously there's a bigger market for French, Portuguese, and English. You can have bigger print runs. Mm. When you're talking about a Bible in uh, the Haiban or uh, mm. uh, Tonga language. Well, now, it's a very small print run, so the unit price is much higher. And a lot of people aren't as enthusiastic to support that. But that's going to impact that person so much more effective in his mother tongue. And so we must never neglect Bibles in the indigenous languages. Mm, absolutely. So it, just hearing about how the field was in the past and how it is today, certainly there's been a lot of changes in the field, um, <laughs> like from where you had to see where the local cell phone or the closest towns with phones were. Now everyone has a smartphone. Everyone seems to have some sort of internet connectivity. Um, what are some other ways the field has really changed over the years? Yes, uh, I, I must say, as, as I've been going into these places, radios were always a very big impact. And, um, you know, getting the people, we actually used to take in little uh, radio receivers for shortwave radio as well. And uh, shortwave radio is still significant. Uh, radio is still a very cost-effective way of reaching people. But there's so much more uh, in internet activity mm. now that more and more people are going for videos. And so we're producing more videos and video teaching materials and PowerPoints, audiovisual materials, and uploading and sharing it out and putting on on these digital uh, um, um, little flash drives. When we started the work, one thing that was quite striking is the entire Muslim world, you couldn't show the cheese film. Cheese film? Mm. Forbidden. But when the Passion of the Christ came out in 2004, there was this hysteria in the media calling it anti-Semitic, which of course it wasn't. That's nonsense. It was basically a depiction of the crucifixion of Christ. But because of this disinformation from the lamestream media, 
a lot of Muslims in the Middle East were, what, anti-Semitic? We've got to see this film. Yeah. And that film, uh, as far as I know, The Passion of Christ not banned anywhere. They were showing it in multiplexes downtown in uh, Riyadh and Saudi Arabia mm. and, and Pakistan. And uh, you could show the Jesus film in some places at risk. So, for example, Heather Mercer, who once came visited our mission and, and took devotions here, she was locked up in, in Afghanistan under sentence of death along with Donna Curry. They were to be executed by firing squad for the crime of showing the Jesus film to four men in Afghanistan on their computer. Mm. But the Passion of Christ, no problem. That could be shown anywhere. And it just shows how uh, that's been one thing that, that the Passion of the Christ opened up an interest in the Muslim world to the gospel of Christ that I'd never seen before. At this moment, I would say the Muslim world is more open, is more discussing, is more interested in Jesus, more fascinated by the teachings of Jesus than probably at any other time in my lifetime. Mm. And uh, I get the impression there's more books that have been produced on understanding Islam. There's more missionaries focused on the Muslim world. Not enough, not close to enough, but more than, than ever before. And so uh, that's one thing that's really changed is the hunger in the Muslim world, the openness, the interest. But the other thing that's radically changed in the mission field is more and more the mission fields moved to our area. So mm. places with established churches now almost all have Muslims in the area. So if you look around, you'll be surprised to find Muslims from closed countries, countries like Eritrea, Somalia, Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, are probably living in your neighborhood, or if not your neighborhood, the next door neighborhood. And they're probably at a local university near you. And so probably one of the most dramatic changes is the globalization of the mission field and that we're seeing more and more of people from closed and mission field countries or restrict access countries moving into your areas. And so almost anybody in North America, United States, Canada, Australia, even South America, you will find people from closed countries. And so if a church opens eyes, even if you can't afford to send a missionary into the Middle East, you can probably have a ministry to the Middle East mm. by meeting some of the local students and people in your own areas. Mm. In fact, I heard from some friends that are in the States now how they've been doing ministry with uh, Afghani refugees that are now uh, in the States. And I mean, what an opportunity uh, that you get to reach into these completely closed access people groups that are just actually coming straight to our doorsteps. And that sort of brings us to a thought, how can we best rise to the challenges of the future? And I think that is one way to know that you don't have to actually... Uh, raise a ton of support and go across border to be a missionary, you can actually go right in your back door, backyard. And there is a mission field right on our doorstep. Mm. I think that's one way. But what are some other ways we can rise to the challenges well, of the future? My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. So the first thing is information. We need to get good, reliable information. And uh, honestly, it's it's wise that people understand there's fake news and there's fake history. Mm. There's a lot of disinformation out there. And uh, I think those words are being bandied about, but few people appreciate just how much, how deep this goes. There's, there might be a deep state, well, there's deep fake in the media and there's deep fake in history as well. So to get news, now, first and foremost, we know God's word is truth. So yes, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. We need to be informed. And that means, first and foremost, we must know the word of God to recognize the deceptions in society. We need to know real history so we can recognize deceptions and propaganda. And getting informed also about the state in the mission field, which traditionally for us has been Operation World's been the first stop. 
You read Patrick Johnson's Operation Board, that chapter on that country that you're focusing on or that country that you're going to travel to or that country that this person or student has come from to understand where this country is spiritually, geostrategically and so on, what the needs are and who else is doing what in that particular area amongst those people groups. So it's important that we look at the fields and that we understand the times. So being informed, that's first. Secondly is interceding. Now, most prayer meetings and most churches and most family devotions tend to be just praying about me, myself, and I and ours and our family and maybe our congregation. And that's about the limit. Very few seem to have a vision for their neighborhood, let alone their city, their country, or their continent or the world. And so to try and broaden our prayer times into thinking of others, and that's where missionary guest speakers and uh, getting uh, newsletters from different missions and learning about others or focusing on a particular prayer group or country or people group, that that really can help. So information, intercession, then involvement. We can all do something. And whether it is having literature and the right languages to distribute to people who come across in your daily activities and travels, or uh, whether it is putting together boxes with love to give to people who are disadvantaged or putting together some materials to give to the homeless or those in need or like we deliver to people in Zimbabwe who are suffering with prisoners, pensioners, pastors, and three other Ps of people who are some of the most suffering people in Zimbabwe. So those are some practical things you can do. So information, intercession, involvement, and investment. Find group that's doing good work and tithe and invest and give thank offerings and so on into a ministry that's making a difference. That makes a huge difference. A little can go a long way when it's put into a strategic ministry. And uh, finally, implementation. There's the Great Commission. We, we call to make disciples teach obedience. So let's be sure with our own children, with our own members in our church, with our youth groups, with those that we're in touch with, to make sure we are renewing minds and we're helping people to know how to understand the times and respond to every challenge of life. Because here's another shocking, horrible fact. While we're talking about persecution church foreign away, the world is busy evangelizing and discipling your children for secularism. Mm. And when you think of some of the horrible statistics, like 70-something percent of children from a church background who go into university end up abandoning church and abandoning faith within three or four years of study. And those are horrifying statistics. But evidently, if those statistics are true, it would appear that the average church is not adequately preparing the young people for the challenges and the the attacks that they're going to get from atheists and agnostics and evolutionists and secularists and the LGBTQ bunch. So unfortunately, we've got a a tremendous amount of defection or apostasy uh, within our church ranks. Uh, in fact, we all know people who used to be pastors or youth leaders who've abandoned the faith. Hmm. And so this means we can't be so comfortable about thinking about you know, how can we reach Muslims in a faraway country like Saudi Arabia when secularists are stealing our own children and even members of their own families. There are very few Christian families that haven't lost somebody in their family who've wandered away from the faith is either backsliding or apostate or gone into the LGBTQ or whatever. So uh, this means we've got to do a much more thorough job of discipleship to be sure that we are not going to lose any of ours, certainly not our own family or congregation. But um, you cannot be too careful when it comes to discipleship. Do we really know the, the faith? In the past, the churches took a lot 
more seriously the catechisms, understanding the faith. Mm. I don't know that that's done much today. And uh, the idea that somehow an entertainment-orientated youth group is going to prepare young people for mm. the world is um, delusion. In fact, I heard from a similar statistic that 75% uh, ended up leaving the church and the 25 that stayed, they looked at a couple factors of why they stayed and they said something that was consistent is they all ate dinner five to seven times nights a week with their family. Uh, they served with their, secondly, they served with their family in a ministry. Third was they had one spiritual experience in the home during the week. The fourth was they're entrusted with responsibility and ministry at an early age. Hmm. And the fifth was they had at least one faith-focused adult in their lives other than their parents. So it's not anything earth-shattering, really, that <laughs> kept them, but just an involved family that sat around a dinner table that actually invested hmm. in their kids that said, hey, let's get them involved in ministry. And actually they had a network of people around them that actually cared about the Lord. So it's hmm. it's nothing super earth-shattering. It's just actually caring about your family and investing in your family that actually kept yeah. them there. But if you want to lose your young people, send them to secular schools and secular universities, watch secular TV, mm. uh, let uh, secular education, secular entertainment and secular uh, news media uh, fill your life. And that will probably do it. That that mm. could. We've got to be so careful. Uh, the five culture-carrying, culture-shaping institutions inside has been identified as education, entertainment, news media, religious institutions, political institutions. These are the five culture-carrying, culture-shaping institutions which the communists target for infiltration. And they've been very busy infiltrating mm. education, entertainment, news media, religious institutions, and political institutions. But when you look at it, the most important when you get down to is education, mm. overwhelmingly. Of course, news media and entertainment are also secondarily and tertiary important. But the religious and political are not as important because they're influenced by the education, entertainment, news media. So we've got to put a lot more focus on being selective as to what news media we support and imbibe, what education we invest in, and uh, what entertainment we choose. Uh, but uh, we've got to be very careful to protect our children from, from the negative and enable them to look critically at the other things. It's so important that we don't just shield them from the bad because you can't do that indefinitely. Mm -hmm but prepare them so they know how to answer the challenges and how to challenge the folks from that worldview with the Christian faith. And in that, I find Answers in Genesis, Way of the Master, Evangelism Explosion, super helpful resources to help prepare us to counter what we're dealing with in the world today. Hmm. So as you think about Frontline and the track record and going forward from here, maybe you can share briefly, what is the vision and what are some of the upcoming projects in the immediate future and how can people be standing in the gap to mm -hmm. intercede for Frontline during this time? Yes, so we praise God. We have not just survived, we've thrived in the last 40 years. We've gotten some important major milestones and uh, I think just producing this new book, Frontline Behind Enemy Lines for Christ in time for our 40-year anniversary, uh, this 448-page book uh, really uh, is a testimony of God's faithfulness despite our weaknesses and failings through tumultuous events. And so that helps us also seeing where God's led us so far and where he's leading us in the future. Obviously, serving persecuted churches is still important, still vital for us, and it's still a huge amount of the world. But now it looks like some of the persecution is coming home through mm. a whole lot of these um, medical tyrannies and more and more intolerant government legislation that's infringing on what people even think um, and what they believe. And uh, have even 
defining what's a male and what's a female and what's transgender and all this. So we've got a lot of attacks on us that we need to know how to respond to. So our biblical worldview summits are so important and Great Commission courses. And we've got a Great Commission course coming up now at, on the 24th of July, starting on uh, 24th of June to 13th of July is our next Great Commission course in Cape Town, an intensive three-week pr- training program. But we're looking for more than that, more than our annual biblical worldview summits and Great Commission courses. We are looking to form a Livingston Missionary School, LMS. David Livingston was sent out through the London Missionary Society, which is no more but we thought we'd take the initials LMS and use it for Livingston Missionary School, a vision of a annual program where it won't just be a course or camp, but taking young people for a year of intensive training. And, and we're seeing Livingston Farm as being another key part. Now, by God's grace, at the end of February this year, we paid our final bond to the bank uh, for the mission house, which is Livingston House, our mission headquarters in Cape Town. And so now we paid up and we no longer owe the bank anything for the for the mission house, which mm-hmm. is our headquarters. And we praise God for that. Next step, Livingston Farm. A farm that can be not only self-sufficient, but where we can train potential missionaries for the future in everything that they need to survive, not just to survive, but to thrive. Unfortunately, our society is becoming to such an extent that most people don't know how to fix anything. And in a mission field, you've got to know how to fix a whole lot of things. So we aren't planning to incorporate everything from carpentry, metalwork, farming, all the way through uh, mechanical, fixing vehicles, fixing water pumps, uh, irrigating fields, uh, all of this with discipline, like the army, getting up early, PT every day, um, there's the intellectual side, the academic side, there's the exams and so on, but there's the practical outreaches. But all of this to build strong bodies, minds, and spirits to be effective in the field. Because unfortunately, our society is very selfish, me-centered, comfort-oriented. To get people out of their comfort zone and teach them to live by faith and to live lives of devoted prayer, along with others who are also dedicated, just sort of like what we experience in the army, but in a completely spiritual, God-centered, Bible-based environment, the idea of Livingston Missionary School, and it would be wonderful if we could launch this fully as of next year. I mean, this depends on the responses to the book and the uh, volunteers we're hoping to get this year. But I'm hoping by the beginning of next year, 2023, to be launching both the, the farm, the school, and this would be a very good foundation because I don't know of a missionary training institution on the continent of Africa right now that's focused on on taking in people and preparing them body, mind, and spirit with a thoroughly missionary uh, curriculum. So uh, this is one of the visions. And the reason for this is we've got so many invitations. We have people pleading from countries all over Africa. We've got a network of over 20 countries in Christian Action Network with over 7 million Christians and more than 7,000 congregations who are affiliated in the Christian Action Network, many of which are pleading with us, send us teams. We need mm-hmm. biblical worldview seminars. We need summits. We need great commission courses, discipleship training courses. Please come to us. And we don't have enough people. Now, how can we respond effectively to this? It's not enough that we get there every couple of years to visit different individuals. We need to train an army to respond to the challenges. And unfortunately, we're living in a very shallow, superficial, me-generation where religious tourism is more likely than actual mission work. So we do hope and pray there'll be a greater desire for depth. And hopefully many who read the book Frontline Behind Enemy Lines for Christ and see what's been accomplished will have a hankering after and a hunger for that depth that was more common in the 
previous generations and and have a revulsion against the shallow, superficial, sensational nonsense that's taken hold today and will want a vision of being something like the David Livingstons of the past and the William Careys and the Mary Slessers mm-hmm. and to go out and to, to make a deep impact for the Lord and for the Word to have great vision. So that's some of the future. Uh, we continue to have the vision to make disciples of all nations, teach obedience to all things the Lord has commanded. We know that without a vision of people perish, we must know the word. We've got to have our minds renewed. And so we'll still have the short-term courses and camps, but we're hoping for a generation that will dedicate themselves for life who will be willing to be used as like the Lollards under John Wycliffe going out as field workers for the Reformation to prepare the way because our vision is Africa for Christ and the whole continent is our vision. And for this, we need a lot more field workers. Amen. So where can people find the book who would be interested in reading a bit more? Yes. So visit www.frontlinemissionsa.org, frontlinemissionsa.org, or email mission at frontline.org.today. You'll also see an article promoting the book on the frontlinemissionsa.org website, or you can email admin at christianlibertybooks.co.today, admin at christianlibertybooks.co.today. It's on their website as well. Uh, you can find us on social media, Frontline, um, or Frontline Fellowship, or Christian Liberty Books, and you'll be able to get the book. It's now available not only in hardcover and softcover, but even print on demand. And by God's grace, by the end of the week, it should be available as an ebook as well. Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We do pray that you would catch this missionary vision and you would go, therefore, and make disciples of the nations God has put in your life and across your path, and that Christ would be glorified in and through you. And as Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. We pray that you'd have a vision of God's kingdom and the Great Commission. Good night, and God bless.